Welcome to the Redeemed Hearts Podcast, where we encourage you to allow God to transform you mentally, emotionally, and relationally by living from your redeemed heart. Your hosts, Worley and Danina Kennedy, are licensed professional counselors and are the founders of Redeemed Hearts Ministries. Thank you for joining us today as Worley and Danina conclude their review and share their favorite insights from Paul David Tripp's book, Marriage, Six Gospel Commitments Every Couple Needs to Make. This episode is part two, so make sure you have listened to part one before listening to this episode. Thanks so much for listening today. Here's Worley and Danina. Welcome back. Ready to talk about marriage again? Yep. Okay. (laughs) So last time we talked about Paul Tripp's book, Marriage, Six Gospel gospel commitments that every couple needs to make. Uh, He wrote it in 2021, and so we're doing a review. And today, we want to emphasize some key takeaways from the book that we took. Mm -hmm. And so we have a few here. And I'll just dive in here with a takeaway from his very first chapter. We did talk a little bit about it last time, but want to go in a little more depth this time. And if you didn't listen last time and you're just joining us today, I really encourage you to go back and— listen to, you know, part one of this, but we are going to each share three of our favorite takeaways. And I think this this first chapter, what did you expect, is a comfort to discourage couples. Uh, because as we mentioned last week, it's a it's a reminder that says it's normal to struggle in marriage. Mm-hmm. And this may be changing somewhat, but it, there was a time and they're really in subtle ways still is that married couples like to live with some pretense, like we got it together. I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody likes to not have things going well. And Mm -hmm. so he, um, he, he really goes against that by saying, you know, what did you expect was going to happen when you take a sinner and a sinner and they marry and it doesn't make a perfect person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it goes against, and I, I find it encouraging because, you know, for the couple who's always struggling, you could resent other couples thinking, wow, they just got it together. Um, or the couples that seem to have it together could look down on couples. Mm-hmm. And so he really levels the playing field. Uh, I think it's humble and and for those humbling and for those uh, it should, you know, relieve those who are humble that things can get better but it could humble those who are proud. Um, And so I just really enjoyed the start of this book as he sets the tone. I want to quote from what he wrote on page 19. He says, it's hard to live in the middle, but it's exactly where we all live. We live in a world that is sadly, still sadly and terribly broken. Your marriage will not escape its brokenness. We live with flawed people, your marriage will not be protected from those flaws. When you start unpacking what life is really like between the already and the not yet, you gain perspectives that are enormously helpful for understanding the things you need to face if you want a marriage that is wholesome and healthy in the eyes of God. And so really, as he sets the tone, he explains that the Bible addresses through all of Scripture, marriage. I like this, too, that it's not just the passage in Ephesians or in 1 Peter or Colossians 
that talk about marriage. It's really the whole of Bible because the Bible speaks of a relational God who we are in relationship with as we are in relationship with one another. And the Bible starts with the institution of marriage. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates woman. And then Mm -hmm. the two of them together sets the course throughout marriage and relationships between a man and a woman through all of life, all of history. Mm -hmm. And then it speaks to that. And so I really like the fact that you can draw so much about marriage throughout the Scriptures and uh, yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. my first one. Yeah. So that what to expect or what did you expect? Yeah. What did you expect? Yeah. I mean, being re- course, being realistic. Yeah. Of course. Of course, you're struggling. Yeah. So my first takeaway um, comes from the chapter entitled "Someone to Be Trusted," and I think I picked this chapter because trust is foundational for any good relationship. I mean, you might have heard people say it's, you know, basically it's the oxygen mm-hmm. um, to relationships. And in this chapter, Tripp says, trust is readily given, easily broken, and costly to restore. Trust is inescapable in any relationship, particularly in marriage. And although it is temporarily granted— Trust is something that must always be built for any relationship to be healthy. This is true of marriage even more. If your marriage is going to be what God intended it to be, trust must be built, it must be maintained, and it must be protected and restored when broken. And I like his illustration of basically this being like homeland security. He he describes trust and he says, um, it's like homeland security, and trust not only needs to be built, but it needs to be protected. And it has to be, it should be the first line of protection in communication. And um, if you haven't heard, you know, our podcast episodes 20 and 21 that we did in, I think, January of 21, we talk about communication there and how communication mm-hmm. is both you know, communicating, speaking, but it's also listening. Mm-hmm. And Tripp does some good work, I think, talking about this too, mm-hmm. that it, it really has to include both things. He says, straightforward, clear, and transparent communication that is without manipulation, deceit, or subtext is essential to building a relationship of trust. So no matter the location or the situation, and I would add the word consequences, mm-hmm. no matter the you know, consequence that might come back at you. Your spouse needs to be able to take your words at face value. And, you know, your spouse must never be left in the place of wondering if you meant what you said or if you said what you meant. And I've been leading a a women's therapy group through Lisa Turker's new book on good boundaries and goodbyes. And her counselor, Jim Cress, has a little saying in there that's kind of catchy, but he he talks about in relationships how important it is to say what you mean and mean what you say and don't say it mean. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's a pretty, you know, it's true. Mm. And it's 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 a catchy way to say that. So if you read this chapter, you're gonna find um Tripp says when it comes to trust, you know, you you gotta play it straight with communication, you know, be good for your word. Face up to your wrongs, keep short accounts, and remember that trust is war. 
Yeah, and he says that because he and he's quoting Galatians 5. He talks about the things that that will break trust are things of the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's talked about in Galatians 5, and it's the Spirit, God's Spirit in us that wars against the flesh. So he uses that terminology of war to talk about that, you know, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, and so forth are listed in there that are attacked by, if you will, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And did you skip over patience on purpose? I did not. Patience. (laughs) Yeah, no, maybe patience is the most important there. mm -hmm. But um, I I would, you know, we talked last time about the, the work of marriage and this being something that we have to settle into and be intentional about. And so trust is something I think we've experienced in 33 years of marriage that we, you know, we we start with trust and then something happens along the way. Maybe it's little things over time and some trust is lost and, and, and then we have to revisit it mm-hmm. to rebuild trust. And then you go a while and then something else happens. And so I think it's an ongoing work. Like, you, you know, you might think, well, I, you know, I established trust in the beginning. She should always trust me. But the problem is, is over time, things have happened. Pressures come. We've encountered, you know, illnesses or moves or children, things that, you know, just happen in everyday married life that I think then not paying attention to certain things, all of a sudden here you are and you're, you're, you're doing this work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's really an ongoing work. And you, I like this chapter in this book, and it's too much to go into on here, but he has a very long list mm-hmm. for couples to be able to go through that that says, this is how you break trust, basically. Yeah. Would your spouse say they trust you in this area? Would your spouse say they trust you in this area? And then the chapter ends with six ways to restore trust. Yeah, it's hopeful. So um, he, yeah. This chapter is very helpful if trust is something that you're working on. And one of the things we'd recommend is that you you take that list and you both look at it and you kind of mark where you feel like maybe trust has been broken. And many to- many of these things in that list, these are not, you know, infidelity right. and, you know, I mean— major issues. Lying or cheating necessarily. Right. It can be little things. A lot of what he's looking at is just the slow erosion that I think happens in, in the marriage. So, um, And he also does a good job of just even giving little kind of re- things that you know that you're not trusting mm-hmm. in, in what may be an indicator because you might not even be aware. Hey, my issue with my spouse right now is I don't really trust them. Mm-hmm. in this issue. He does a good job of helping you with some of the subtle ways that that can become an issue. Yeah, to recognize that it really is a trust issue. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I got another takeaway. Um, it's under the first commitment, and it says, we will give ourselves to a lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. And it's on the from the chapter on confession. He says, Trip does, confession is essential, and no change takes place in marriage without it. It is an act of grace and requires that we know right from wrong. And so humility is so important mm-hmm. in all of this. When you talk about confession, um, 
to be humble and approachable in order to gauge and make this your lifestyle, to be humble to admit, you know, my stuff, approachable to hear your stuff. Um, in my experience with you, <clears throat> Danina, I think God's been faithful to us to humble us, to also help us and mm-hmm. encourage us as we would work at having a lifestyle mm-hmm. confession. Yeah. Um, and because I, you know, I never start out being humble. I mean, that's not the default of a sinner. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's something we choose and and we go to because of God's help. Um, it, it's really helpful to think about this this, this way. Yeah, we start out trying to be independent yeah. of God yeah. and each other. Yeah, and get our own needs met. But, but having this yeah. confession lifestyle and forgiveness lifestyle really you know, helps with this. A quote from page 90 in the book, he says, when the shadow of the cross hangs over our marriage, we live and relate differently. We're no longer afraid to look at ourselves. We're no longer surprised by our sin. We no longer have to work to present ourselves as righteous. We say goodbye to finger pointing and self-excusing. We abandon our record of wrongs. We settle issues quickly. We do all of these things because we know that everything we need to confess has already been forgiven, and what is needed for every new step we'll take, we will take has already been supplied. We can live in this liberating light of humility and honesty, a needy and tender sinner living with a needy and tender sinner, no longer defensive and no longer afraid, together growing nearer to one another as we grow more like him. Now, who wouldn't want to live like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Just just well said. Something to, you know, appeal to us. So mm-hmm. really appreciated that that uh, commitment. So for my second takeaway, I really picked the same chapter mm-hmm. also. Um and one of the things he says is a healthy marriage, healthy marriages are healthy because the people in those marriages find joy in canceling debts. Mm. You know, most of us want to protect ourselves from being hurt again by holding on to the offense or, you know, I want to get my due back. And um, he's saying, no, these these healthy marriages, people find joy in canceling debts. Mm -hmm. It's not just that they do it. And this is easy when the other person practices I think owning, so the confession part makes a big difference here. It can make it so much easier in canceling that debt when the other person is humble and willing to see that they've had an impact on Mm -hmm. you and, um, you know, what what they've done. Um, So we're going to just quickly list. There are nine things he says the daily habits of a confession lifestyle are. And he says, number one, we will be lovingly honest We don't just ignore or push the issue coming between us under the rug. We address our own heart first and then discuss it with our spouse. That's good. Number two is we will be humble when exposed. This means a willingness to consider without revving up our inner defense system. It means remembering that we are also a sinner. It means remembering that whatever we have done has already been covered by the blood of Jesus, so we can see it and admit it. 
Number three, we will not excuse and build argument for our righteousness by turning the tables on the other. So quick, easy to do. Mm-hmm. Number four, we will be quick to admit wrongs so we can keep short accounts. Number five, we will listen and examine what is being said to us. Number six, we will greet confession with encouragement. Few things crush a confession lifestyle more quickly than not being met with grace, but but with judgment. And this can shut a person down immediately so if you're so feeling vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable thing to confess, like, I have done this, or I am aware that this is going on in me. And if it gets met with, yeah, you're right, you've I been know. doing that. And or, I've done that. And, I, yeah. and it, it'll completely shut That's why this list is helpful, because it's something that I think is a guide to help us to to see that what we're doing and to not do that. Mm-hmm. Number seven, we will be patient, persevering, and gentle in the face of wrong. It takes this because change is seldom an event, but a process. A process. Very good. Number eight, we will not return to the past and hold the marriage hostage to the past if the issue has been resolved. Another key thing. And part of what I would say here that's important is if your spouse is bringing something up over and over and over again, that that should be an indicator that there hasn't been any resolution for them. Maybe there's been resolution for you, but they're not able to move forward. Yeah, so, so there's work that's got to be done. Something to, something to work on so that you don't continue to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nine, we put our hope in Christ. Confession is about hope, and it must first be put in the person of Jesus Christ as we admit how weak, selfish, needy, fickle, and rebellious we actually are. So these are some really good steps to consider. They are not easy, but they're going to be life-giving, and they're going to be marriage-giving. Yeah, and a guide, a real good guide. So uh, my third takeaway is from Commitment 6 that says we work to protect our marriage and the chapter within in that section is titled Eyes Wide Open. And he says, Trip does, at some point they quit watching and praying. At some point they begin to lie back and enjoy the ride. They took good as an invitation to quit working, and now they were paying the price. This was not a marriage without hope. This was a marriage without work. And this side of heaven, walking away from the work, never works. Great quote. And he goes on to say, grace gives your marriage a lifetime warranty. I like that. And what it means is that God will give us everything we need to be what we're supposed to be and do what he's called to do in our marriage. We're constantly, as believers, covered by this (laughs) grace. Mm -hmm. But we must accept the fact that even if our marriage is great, it's not safe that no marriage this side of eternity is totally problem-protected. There are daily temptations from the flesh. Mm -hmm. There's spiritual warfare from evil. And then there's pressures to follow after the world, and those things are constant. Therefore, we're not safe. And I just like the fact that we we can never let our guard down. And that's so biblical Mm -hmm. when it comes to Christians in general. That the the scriptures that talk about um, to be watchful and alert. Peter said in First Peter five eight, "Be sober minded, be watchful, 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Think about the impact on marriages or Christian marriages. There's an adversary who goes after it. So he's saying, be be mindful, be sober-minded. Which requires you got to stay engaged, <laughs> you know. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he mm-hmm. said that when he was about to go the cross to his disciples of just the, the importance of, you know, there's always going to be someone who's after you if, if you're not attentive. Paul said it in Ephesians 6, 18, keep alert with all perseverance. <coughs> making supplication for all believers. So this idea of a constant state of prayer and attentiveness with our spouses and for our spouses throughout our married lives, it's just good exhortation. Mm-hmm. So really appreciated that. Yeah. And he's going to, doesn't he talk in that chapter about some practical ways mm-hmm. to protect your marriage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that are, that are good that you'll find there. So my third takeaway, um, I, I think it comes from, uh, you know, the gardening illustration here. And I think it's because I love working in flower garden or a garden. And um, he, he talks about marriage being like a harvest and that we are always planting seeds and always needing to pull weeds. And he uses the call to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.10 to make the point when he tells Jeremiah I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. I was just going to comment real quick. Ecclesiastes says that same thing. There's a time for everything, Mm -hmm. a time to plant, a time to pull up and Mm -hmm. so forth. So Ecclesiastes, and then he uses Jeremiah to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. And here in Jeremiah, he's basically saying if change is to take place in Israel, which was desperately needed Mm -hmm. that time, God is saying this is how it will have to happen. I mean, it's it's not just going to magically happen Mm -hmm. here. Um, There's going to be, you're going to have to pluck up and you're going to have to break down and you're going to have to plant and you're going to have to build. And God's basically, Trip points out here, saying that change always has two sides to it. It has... Um, destruction and construction. And I think about that, you know, in so often in me, in our marriage, there's something that God's, I mean, he's asking something to die in me. Mm -hmm. And it's a painful process Mm -hmm. in order to then build Mm -hmm. something and, and to grow. And he says, we must pull the weeds so the beauty of our marriage can grow. We all know the reality with weeds, though, is they never go away. They continue to pop their ugly heads up and need constant attention. Many couples deal with things in their marriage until they feel better, but they don't continue to be attentive and pull the weeds as needed and find themselves in the same place once again. Um, You said to me a couple of weeks ago that some people just want to feel better, but they don't want to be better. And it made me think of this chapter that, you know, even in counseling, I mean, we can encourage people in certain directions, but, you know, we, we can't make them do the work right. as a person to, you know, grow and to change and to be better in, in just and to be who God's made them to be. Don't you find this sometime in, 
when when you're counseling couples that couples go through a crisis, which is usually because it should happen, mm-hmm. because and and God's in it. Mm-hmm. Because of something that is either sinful, and maybe it's not even that. It's just they're they're off on something. So then they come in and they talk for the first time, really talk. They were able to talk because they have a mediator mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, and they feel better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, a couple of sessions like that where they feel better and they're working on things. Well, then they stop coming, mm-hmm. right? Or they keep coming, and then things get worse. <laughs> right and it's kind of like you know yeah well, the more you start dealing with yeah. what what got you there in the first place and then place. all of a sudden you know i'm thinking well maybe i'm not a very good counselor or <laughs> you know i don't because i've been doing this a long time but then they're kind of wondering well, what what are we not doing right well it's it's because now they're actually engaged into this ongoing process of pulling weeds and and mm-hmm. then we and then learning to plant sometimes new seeds and, yeah. and what that looks like. But you have to be consistent at it and stay engaged in it. And it's it's true. I mean, you know, I, I have some big flower beds and I, it, you know, it's kind of therapy for me. I love working in them. But, I mean, we can go on vacation for a week and I come home and I'm just overwhelmed yeah. by the amount of weeds right. that have taken over and just how horrible my flower beds look. And if if we would realize that marriage is like that, mm-hmm. like that quickly, right? Those weeds are going right. to come up, and I mean, and that happens in a period of you don't pay attention to your flower bed during during the, you know the summer season and stuff. It happens in days. I mean, yes. very quickly. And marriage is like that too. Mm-hmm. It really is that short span mm-hmm. that it can happen. And so, Trip suggests some weeds. So listen to these. See if you find yourself in them. Selfishness. Busyness, inattention, self-righteousness, fear, and laziness. And in, if you read this chapter, he's going to speak about each of these more in depth. And then he suggests um, we need to plant the seed of serving one another humbly in love from Galatians 5.13. And he completes this chapter on what that type of love looks like. So, um, in fact, as I read this book, I thought I thought about all these chapters really are exposing the way Tripp writes. He is exposing weeds all the way through this mm-hmm. book, and that he is also pointing out very important seeds in each chapter. And, you know, these important seeds are what we've mentioned, some of them already, but having realistic expectations, the seed, important seeds of planting vulnerability and trust, confession and forgiveness, physical, emotional, and spiritual connection and drought, um, grace when we're weak, and grace when we see our differences. He talks about the seeds of prayer and the seeds of worship. And so um, even though he has this one chapter designated to this, in my opinion, as I read the entire book, I just thought, I mean, he he's exposing weeds and seeds it's always, all the way through. And it's hopeful, the seed concept of that God has given us what we need to replace the weeds with something that will bear fruit mm-hmm. in our relationship. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, the, the book ends as we wrap up here with a couple of bonus chapters entitled The Gospel, Marriage, and Sex. And so uh, th- this is a 
revised book, and so he went back and added this. I think many couples would find that helpful. Um, and then another chapter on questions that people have mm-hmm. that they've written since he wrote the first book in between, and then he answers some of those questions. And then in the back of the book, there's a study guide that could this book could you know even go further for a small group discussion. Mm-hmm. So um, we chose it because we know that it's going to require some time, thought, and commitment, but well worth the time if you intentionally choose to read and work through it as a couple. And I would just say, ask God to prepare your heart for surgery Yeah. when you read this book, and then invite God to help you do the work of rehabilitation, and you'll find lots of healing, mm-hmm. both you individually will. and as a couple. All right. Thanks for joining us. And we will see you next time. See you next time with another book review. Thank you again for joining us today on the Redeemed Hearts podcast. We pray that today's episode brought you hope and encouragement. If you are looking for more content from Worley and Danina or want to reach out and contact us, we encourage you to visit redeemedheartsministries.com. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and feel free to share this episode on social media. Have a great week, and God bless.